We just need so desperately to recover the actual sacraments, you know, as Ann Kennedy is fond of saying, just go to church, but to a real church where you celebrate birth and you celebrate <laughs> marriage and you celebrate the burial of the dead in the ways of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Stand Firm podcast. We have put our heads together and come up with nothing special to do. But I am Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here as always with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys today? Excellent. Yeah, great, Nick. Matt and J.D., I want you to know something. The not yet is the imaginal space of becoming. The not yet is in the space of a realized utopia. The not yet is the Christian message that we must embody in critical and creative ways to steward a narrative that calls us into being human with one another again. That is the kind of hope I want to invite us to embody. That is the kind of queerness that I hope we can practice. One that reimagines language and practice and narratives that can be midwived and stewarded through the imaginal. Stirring words of hope, the I, I think, from Nashville's self-styled trans-queer Latinx neurodivergent public theologian, Robin Henderson Espinoza. So I want to oh know from you guys, how will you guys be midwiving and stewarding your reimagined language practice and narratives through the imaginal? <laughs> that's like, that's like, uh, I, I, I'm still trying to sort that. I, I was an Episcopalian for like the first part of my, my whole, my first half of my life. And I still can't figure out what you said. The imaginal. <laughs> the imaginal. Midwifery. Right? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> All I know is it needs to involve a tub birth of some sort. That's all I can. That's all I can. When I was when I was in seminary, and and remember this because we were in the same class, and they were teaching uh, us how to celebrate the Eucharist. The the professor and it was a man. There's a class about that. Yeah, yeah. We have to get how long did how long was this class like? It was part of the prayer book class right yeah it was part of the prayer book class okay. right, right so oh, it's like so, entire, was that like a one credit six minute six <laughs> no minute class? But, like but, you hold your hands yeah. here and you read that's right and then you <laughs> well no that's not how you do it jd <laughs> is it not? Um, is it... <laughs> we were i just taught. learned that i just hold on that's telling that, a story wait but i just learned the other day i didn't take this class that you can put the uh the book on either side that you want. I thought it had to be on no, the left. That's, <laughs> was, that's, that's a lie. Do you know no, the name for the book, Jady? Do you know the name for the book? The the book, the altar book, right? The the I think it's called the missile, right? Isn't it? Yes. Okay, thank you. I took um, but I took the that professor class. who happened to be book. a man. I'm just going to talk over you. <laughs> <laughs> the professor who happens to be a man. Uh, was taught told us that we had to learn how to celebrate from the womb we had to we had all of us whether you have a womb or not you you need to reach down into your womb and say the words of institution because you're you're birthing something you're birthing you're you're, (laughs) just looking at each other like man goodness yeah that's right along the lines with this trans queer latinx neurodivergent public theology you're you're yeah. birthing something who knows what you're birthing but it's right. something it's coming, right. out. it's coming out it's like in a v remember v 
uh when they oh, yeah, yeah. refer to the to the alien baby like that <laughs> yeah, that's a, a the remake of v actually worked really really well too <laughs> just so you know I, I would commend it and it's not vulgar it's not vulgar it's um but i didn't realize how heavy-handed it was when i watched it as a child it's like it's it's pretty um ham-fisted we'd say at any rate go watch v and get your birthing birthing eucharistic um celebration uh on in the imaginal that's that's a, that's the answer to that well let's transition back from the imaginal to the real world and the explosion that we all witnessed on the internet last night as we record this on tuesday with the leaked draft majority opinion from the supreme court authored by justice alito overturning roe versus wade which is to put it mildly Huge news. Yeah, yeah. Now, one of the many facets of this potential event is for Christians that it puts a really sharp point on these last few years, starting with the election of 2020, these long discussions about what the best way to reduce abortion is and for which candidates that might give you permission to vote. Now, some have argued, as we've talked about on the show before, notably Tim Keller as recently as last week, that while the Bible is clear that abortion is a sin, it does not tell us what policies are the right ones to reduce its prevalence. Now, I don't think Mr. Keller has responded to this news yet, but one wonders if striking down the supposed constitutional right to abortion will be seen as a step in the right direction. Now, this is just a draft, though it has been confirmed now by the court as a real thing, and the court's deliberations are ongoing, but certainly the three of us are on the record as praying for the Roe decision to be reversed. What do you make of this news, you guys, and where do we go from here? Well, first of all, it's wonderful news. I don't think there's any question about that. And it is a, it is a long uh, result of many, uh, it's an answer prayer, if, if it indeed comes down, I think. Uh, there's no question. I mean, I was thinking about it today. This morning I woke up. So I was about to go to bed last night, and then the, the news broke, and then, uh, you know, just stayed up reading Twitter scrolling for Twitter hours, hours and hours. <laughs> um, but I remember one of my formative memories as a child is going on a march for the unborn. It was called Heartbeat March for the Unborn with my parents uh, back in the state capital in Baton Rouge. And I just was struck by that this morning. So it was like it was a um, memory that came back and thinking how how long the whole country you know, has been um, overshadowed you know, and the generations that have been lost, first of all. But then secondly, the, the generations that have lived in the reality of this world where life is so... Um, is not precious and very existence is predicated upon whims and, and um, uh, sort of temperament even. And the fact that we have the possibility, um, you know, we'll keep fighting about this, but that we have the possibility of, of really seeing a, um, a, a reversal and a return is just, well, it's, it can start making you weep really. If, if you think about how long people have been um, praying and hoping for this. And so it's, it seems almost too good to be true from this from this level, because not only does it speak to um, the specifics of Roe, but I didn't read the entire opinion, it was lengthy, but from parts of it that I heard read and then read myself, you know, it, it, it speaks to the entire question of um, sort of these, these mythical rights that were found in and around the, the constitution that have been uh, foisted upon us or utilized as a as leverage for uh, federal involvement in um, states' issues. And so it's just, you know, the ramifications of it could be huge, not the least of which the, the, the limiting of uh, abortion. But, but anyway, I'm still, I'm still kind of shocked by it and, and am holding my breath until the official opinion actually comes out. But at the moment, it was, um, it, it was a glorious thing. It was a glorious thing to behold and to read. 
Yeah, it really is. I'm, I was, I'm still stunned. I thought at first this, this can't be true. And yeah. uh, to have the, the drafts authenticated, that doesn't, doesn't mean it's going to be the final draft, but it just means that they're saying this really was something that we were, we were looking at and that these, the majority had signed on to. So that that's huge. Uh, I, I actually think that the leaking of the, I think the, the people who leaked this thing were trying to put pressure on one of the five who are in favor of the majority at this point. But I, it, my guess is it has the opposite effect at this point because uh, they don't, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to read Justice Roberts' statement this morning, Not yet. but he, he was very irate about, well, yeah, about, so. about the leak. And I think that's probably going to be the, the reaction of all the justices, but especially those five. Um, and uh, my prayer is I don't, that they won't change, um, change yeah. their mind. Speaking about strategy, you know, the earlier question about uh, Tim Keller and others, you know, there was the response of, I get, I'm not sure I even described them, the evangelical thought leaders, the evangelical left uh, to, to Donald Trump, you know that that's fueled the the kind of rethinking of the of the abortion issue uh, on on their part. Let's 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 rethink. Is abortion really so important that we need to vote for a, a pro life candidate, um, even if he's allowed? Uh, has been the the question they've been wrestling with, and many of them come out have come out saying no. Most of them, I think, probably voted third party. I don't know, um, but but the the way that Tim Keller in particular has has articulated the question is, is really telling and i'm not the first person to point this out other people point this out but but if let's say that let's say the issue was legalized lynching nationwide there was a, a law that allowed under certain conditions groups of of white men to go lynch uh, minorities tim keller none of them would have would ever vote for a pro lynching candidate even even if they could be persuaded that the policies the pro-lynching candidate would put in place would actually, because of the the social consequences of them, reduce lynching. Like, like if they could be persuaded that fewer people be lynched if they vote for a pro-lynching candidate, I, I doubt very seriously that Tim Keller would say, I'm voting for this guy. I don't care if he wants to lynch people. Um, no. The reason they wouldn't is because that notion goes against the entire concept of governance from the very beginning. The reason we have government, what the core reason we have government is so that people are not murdered. That's, that's why that's we right. have it, right? Protect, yeah, protect so, life and life and private property. Yes. Works, so uh, and that's, that's the innate, those are inalienable rights. Right. So, so the, so this tells me that somewhere along the line, I, I don't think it's conscious even, but Tim Keller in some way, shape or form or fashion, does not see what's happening in abortion as a Holocaust and as murder on the level of lynching. He just doesn't see it that way. And I would have to say the same thing about the left-leaning evangelical influencers either. They don't, they don't, no matter what they say, they don't see it as murder. One person who I had respect for, a Southern Baptist woman, said, well, she had said that she would rather not vote for uh, Trump, even if, even if, even if he would put justices in place who would end up uh, overturning Roe v. Wade. And this morning, I think it was last night, maybe she was asked, do you still hold to that, to that position now that the Roe v. Wade may very well be overturned? And she said, uh, yes, 
I understood my pro-life activism to be a, a long-term thing. I would rather wait 50 years to have abortion undone than to do it the, the shortcut way. Yeah, and not I think just fifty she, years, fifty more years. Yeah, and with that, in the last fifty years, we've had seventy-something million babies murdered. So she's willing to have seventy-something babies murdered. That's a better option than than this. What we what just happened, I, and I think my my guess is I don't know. I gotta, I gotta go go back. I'm, I'm gonna go and check, but I think her objection is I, she is she didn't want this legislated from the Supreme Court. I think she wanted this to be. But that's that's the irony is like what they're actually doing is just correcting what they have said yeah. is like the worst, most poorly argued case, you know, that they've had in a long time. I mean, yeah. you know, what is his his opinion says? Um, I was just found it, but but oh, I can't find it at the moment. But anyway, basically, you know, they're correcting like terrible jurisprudence. I mean, that's what right. they're doing. So it's not a question of, you know, abortion will still be argued um and still be uh debated uh but 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 the place where it should be not not from fiat you know not from the cylons or whatever speaking from on high you know, or whatever or whatever those things were in um minority report you know that's what they're operating like you know the um precogs precogs that's right uh, the cylons are battlefield earth right it got a lot of got a lot yeah, of was a battlefield galactica, battlefield uh, galactica. yeah, yeah. at any rate right. no no it's it's really i think you're exactly right matt because i have had I, I feel like this has been well it's been a dividing issue since as long as i can remember in my christian life i mean i remember back in you know i think it was like 10th grade western civilization class we we did the you know, who's, who's for abortion and who's against abortion and stand on one side of the wall and then like have like moderating opinions. And then the teacher, I mean, used to talk about this in classes and things all growing up. And then when it became a Christian or more serious Christian in college, uh, in part, it was because I read Christian, um, Francis Schaeffer's Christian manifesto, which was all about abortion, you know, and he wasn't advocating violence or anything, but he was making the analogy saying, if you actually believe or he was making, he pointing out that if you actually believe this is murder, well, then your life and your practice and your um, voting and everything will be dramatically different than if you think it's, if not. I mean, that's an either or, either it's a murder of a child, you know, or it's not. And that that has ramifications for the quote unquote, um, you know, exceptions, you know, rape and incest. It has ramifications for the trimesters, you know, all these sort of various things that people try to have these moderating positions. And I remember being uh, really convicted by that because fundamentally what we're looking at is a faith conviction, um, which has only been increasingly backed up by science. But it is it is a conviction of our faith that is, um, you know, elucidated all throughout Scripture, that God is the author of life, that um, that, you know, is protected from the womb. Um, and as we say in our ordination files, the ACNA, you know, that we believe in life from from conception to natural death, you know, that's a, that's a statement of faith, that's a confession. And so when you get into a discussion with, with Christians and they have some sort of, sort of moderating place on this or they're a little bit wishy-washy in terms of the horror of it, well, then it is telling. And I think as we've now seen, um, you know, exactly where the, sort of the end result of that moderating kind of uh, position leads you is ultimately, exactly to your point, Matt, um, a place where you subconsciously or consciously have, have de-escalated your horror and revulsion 
and care, for lack of a better word, for these these unborn babies. And I think, um, you know, it's funny. And well, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's it's become clear. And now we see um, the, the futility of that of that position from a Christian perspective, I think. It goes to show you how actually important language is. I think that we've all known this for a long time. We are called to speak the truth in love. But um, even though we've known it, even just to speak for myself, I've been a relatively, what I would call a conservative Christian for my entire life and would have always told you that I thought abortion was wrong. But the culture of abortion has been so wily with its use of language and changing words and using certain words and not other words that it just sort of chips away at the actual moral cataclysm that abortion really is. And until relatively recently, I had ears for, well, you know, I'm not a one issue voter. So yada, yada, yada. That was me until not that long ago. And it's when the truth is spoken when the actual nature of things is laid out in front of you, as we are called to do as preachers of the word, as speakers of the truth, that um, something like scales can fall from your eyes and you can all of a sudden see what's really going on. And I just think that it's, it's re reconvicting me to not participate in these, what, what I might call language games, but are actually lies. Like it's participating in a falsehood to mm. modify language in that way. Absolutely, man. And you're, the, the list of words, we could probably come up pretty quickly with the list of words that have been re, reformulated for this thing. I mean, including pro, pro-life itself. I mean, now, right. uh, so the now pro-life is just, you know, uh, I support the mother, you know, living her life to the fullest or um i'm pro-life so i'm going to support leftist ideological programs um well yeah and they call it women's health care and it's yeah, you know, yeah products just... of conception and all of these things i mean it's you're exactly right you're exactly right nick and it, i mean the saddest thing for me overall has been the the sort of working out the the cancer really that i think lies that abortion is lies at the heart of in in the broader society when you when you see the, the damaging effects of this sort of, like I mentioned before, the nihilism that is inherent in the, a world where life itself is, is so meaningless, you know, or seemingly meaningless. And then just, and, the, and then the, the, the sort of cascading effects of that down through, you know, uh, teenage suicides and depressions and people's cavalier attitudes towards their own bodies and sex and, you know, the family and all of it, all of it is, has in some sense its roots and if not poisoned directly by um, the persistence of abortion. Now, of course, you know, abortion couldn't have come into uh, such uh, uh, prominence unless you had a, a sort of a devaluation of sex and marriage in the first place and a rise in contraception and, you know, changing morals. And so there's, it's, it's part of a whole but it's a big part. It's one of the major parts of the whole, even if, as they're going to argue, abortions have been decreasing because of contraception and things. The very concept of it from a moral perspective is a cancer that has eaten away the soul of our of our nation. I mean, it's I'm, I don't think we're beyond repair and I don't think we're, we're hopeless. I mean, I pray for 
for our leaders and I pray for revival. Um, but this would be one of the first steps towards that, uh, that taking place would be to at the very least take the, this, this, um, unspoken moral horror out of our everyday, um, experience and, and begin to sort of come to grips with, with all of the questions that has been forced underground, um, that it has, has, um, as a result of being forced to turn a blind eye to this. And I think that's where, that's what I'm hoping for, because we actually get into the States, we get into, um, discussions, we actually talk about hammer it out and, and, you know, hopefully bloodlessly, but fight it out, um, with legislation and things. And then, and then, explain and defend and articulate um, why this is a an evil and a horror, how we can care for those who find themselves with quote-unquote unwanted pregnancies and all the things, but we can actually talk about it and with some hope now. This is what it gives us, but it's not simply going to be just, um, you know, writ off uh, by fiat, but we actually may have, um, you know, a state or a local community that that decides and 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 that's that's a whole new day. That's a whole. I mean, we've never lived. Matt Matt has since he's much much older than we are. But we've never lived in a world where that's been a, a legitimate legal possibility. And that's um, it's hard to imagine. But here we here we might be. I was born in 1971. Two years. <laughs> there you go. Two years before the um, yeah. I remember as, as you were talking, I was remembering uh, Carl Truman's Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And one of the most poignant parts of that book is when he describes abortion as a death work. Um, I think it's Philip Reith who came up with that yeah, concept. He did. Okay. Uh, yeah. And so the idea is that is a death work is a, is is the product of a culture that has lost its any kind of sacred order to it. There's no kind of beyondness to it, the, its virtues and, and values. And so what happens in those cultures, he, he says, is that is it the things that are had been in the past valued by uh, by people who recognized a sacred order, a divine order to the universe, are then held up and destroyed as a means of doing away with that kind of vestige of the past and freeing the this new, uh, the brave new non-sacred order culture to, to to go wherever it wishes. And so the, the, these death works are kind of mocking blasphemies of of uh, the previous traditional order and abortion is stands like at the apex of that because it takes life which is sacred the most sacred thing within the worldview the, the judeo-christian worldview the, the 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 creation the procreation of individuals god knits together himself in the womb made in his own image for the purpose of his glory and and chopping him into pieces and 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 destroying and destroying them is a an act of both mockery and um and destruction uh with nothing with it mean in 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 the, in the service this what you're doing that in service to what what is is also itself kind of gross it's for the for the individual to to live without complication <laughs> that's it that's convenience it. Yeah, yeah and you see this you see this sort of reverse sacramentalizing at every stage of life too don't you we've we've talked not just we but we writ large the church has has talked about abortion being sort of the reverse sacrament for a long time but um i'm reminded of when gene robinson who was consecrated bishop in the episcopal church in 2003 
um, when he was divorced, he had a divorce ceremony in his church, sort of reverse sacramentalizing this thing that is central to the life of the church, marriage. And then I just read an article, I think last week about a woman in Canada who decided to avail herself of the state's legalized euthanasia. And she had a service of euthanizing herself in her church. And this is every stage of life, right? Abortion is the anti-sacrament of birth. Divorce is the anti-sacrament of marriage. And euthanasia is the anti-sacrament of a transition into the heavenly realm. And we have we have bastardized all three of these things, brought them into the church and called them sacramental. And this is just like the, the yawning maw of hell that we've opened right. up here. And we just need so desperately to recover the actual sacraments, you know, as Ann Kennedy is fond of saying, just go to church, but to a real church where you celebrate birth and you celebrate <laughs> marriage and you celebrate the burial of the dead in the ways of Jesus Christ. Yeah, absolutely. The, <laughs> The, the, the one of the issues that I thought was, is coming to the fore here um, as this maybe we might maybe think this historic overturning of, of Roe v. Wade is is this whole idea of um, how the church has tried to engage. You know, you brought it up again in the in the, in the beginning of this discussion, how the church has tried to engage the culture. And and I think I think a good part of of the church having been so influenced by Having been so influenced by maybe the church growth movement and other other marketing strategies, you know, the the ta- the, the, the trying trying to fit Christian virtue, biblical morality, um, into an appealing package for the non Christian has meant, I think, in a lot the, the many within the ACNA and the evangelical church has has had to say, okay, well. Um, Loving means uh, not speaking the truth. Le- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We want we want to we want to pull them in, and our abortion stance is something that really is is really is really uh, um, you know not turning people on all that much. So so let's <laughs> let's talk about something else, right? And yeah. and it, and it's it's just what's interesting now though is is if this thing goes through, uh, I think it, I I think it does. Great. I don't think I think the and campaign is done. Hmm. Um, if this thing goes through, I think the soft evangelical soft peddling on abortion and let's play the long game and we're more we're more appealing to the outsiders than you is gone because because if this thing goes through, um, it is it's it's like the it's, it's I think it's more significant than the fall of the Berlin Berlin Wall. I think it's more significant than nine eleven. It's more significant than um, than than pretty much anything within living memory maybe the end of world war ii but not really i don't know maybe it slaughtered more people than the holocaust i mean this thing is huge and you can give thanks first of all to god but you can give thanks to god working through years and years decades of hard anti-abortion work on the part of, right. part of part of lawyers on the part of preachers on the part of uh, people in the pews and the part of the people who are sitting well, doctors the yeah. i mean we used to support um these you know mobile sonogram units you know which go around and help and help you know because yep. and the sonogram technology is is really oh yeah it's huge has, has transformed everything because 
it's impossible to deny, except for righteous suppression, like Paul says in Romans 1, that that's a baby. You know, it's like, looks like a baby, <laughs> acts like a baby. And then, of course, you know, and then the medical technology, these wonderful doctors that can save babies born earlier and earlier and earlier. Like my goddaughter was born at 23 weeks. You know, she weighed like half a pound and she was in the NICU for six months. And now yeah. she's healthy and beautiful and running around. And you can't deny all these things unless you were willfully suppressing the truth, which is a different, that's a different thing. But thankfully, there are many people out there whose consciences have not been totally seared. And um, all of these innovations and all of these, this work has gone towards um, what we see, uh, what, we're, what we're living through at this moment, which um, you're, you're right, is, is as momentous as anything we've, we've experienced in our lives. As I made the mistake of scrolling through Twitter last night, <laughs> I, it, it comes to me now, I just want to ask you guys, are, as sort of a playing devil's advocate here for a moment, are we being naive? Are we trading aborted infants for murdered women in back alley abortions? That, that's the claim on Twitter, that you, you cannot make abortion illegal. You can only make safe abortion illegal. And that somehow the example that I think we've just seen in Texas that we've talked about before, where it seems like the actual number of abortions were dramatically declined, part of the wailing that we're seeing on Twitter today is that women are going to be slaughtered accidentally en masse in these quote unquote back alley abortions. Is that, is that a claim that we need to take into account and modify what we're saying? It's the same thing. I mean, look, look this, that again shows serious moral ignorance. I mean, almost deadly moral ignorance uh, because again, it shows that the people the people who say that are demonstrate they don't really consider it murder. Oh, sure. No, because no, no. if we take if we take lynching, these right? are largely not Christian people. Just okay. for the record, <laughs> well, I've heard Christian people say the same thing. Oh, okay. So if we take murder, if we take lynching, right? Then even if a law against lynching might lead to lynching done and 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 less Illegal than orderly circumstances, right? Yeah. Right, 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 right. We would still want to outlaw lynching, right? Yes, it would still go on, but you outlaw it because the laws of a nation uh, dictate its virtues. It's 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 and they show what the nation hopes to be. Exactly. Exactly. So you you outlaw it because it's evil and wicked and 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 uh, and your laws have to reflect that. Um, But secondly, just actually the and you mentioned it with the Texas law, but the the back alley abortions that were were occurring before Roe v. Wade were, were occurring on nothing even approaching the level of the actual abortions that took place. So far, 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 far fewer women uh, were injured by back, through back alley abortions than babies were murdered. So just in a, just in a basic calculus, I, I'm sure, sadly, there are women who are going to be so bent on murdering their babies, they're going to go and, and do that, sadly. And we hope that, that it doesn't happen, but we, we probably will. But right now, what is it? 1.4 million babies a year, maybe more. I forget how much, 1.4 million babies a year. That, that that's a holocaust of unprecedented proportions you and, and that's not going to happen in any in a back alley with women uh, doing abortions like themselves on, on themselves or on having people doing it doctors doing it secretly that's not going to happen that way um i hope it doesn't happen at all but even if it does it's not going to be 1.4 million lives a year 
Well, and you'll see the same arguments that, you know, that that have gotten to the point when the pro-abortion argument that, you know, the sort of the, the, the life of the mother uh, was expanded to, you know, sort of the mental health of the mother. And so you had the argument that, you know, I know firsthand, as do many as of our listeners, our, our, our listener too, um, about how long it takes to adopt, you know, the waiting list for adoptions. I mean, there's a, there's, people sitting there waiting. And so, but the argument was like, well, if you, we've talked about this before, I think, but if you, why can't you just put your baby up for adoption? Well, it was like the psychic harm involved in that was somehow let more than actually killing it in, in the womb. And so that was the pro-abortion argument. And I think you're going to, um, you know, you're, you're, we're, we're going to see, you know, ramping up of that type of uh, language and rhetoric surrounding um, what is going to happen to women who are quote unquote forced to now carry these children. Um, and it'll be dystopian and hyperbolic and, you know, uh, make the handmaid's tale look like uh, a Disney movie. Um, uh, but at any rate, you know, I think what we, what we really have to look at is going to happen is, you know, the abortion is 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 rightly been called the sacrament of, of kind of uh, secularism. And I think secularism is rightly understood as just the repaganization of the world. You know, if you go. Um, um, but but the the the, rea- the reality behind abortion is that it forces or, or contra- uh, conception, excuse me, is that it forces a um, you're no longer able to deny that 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 sex has a has a meaning a purpose and an ultimate end you know a telos like you can't deny like a child um however however painfully it was conceived however pleasurably it was conceived with someone you you liked or didn't like or it was violent whatever the case is the fruit of that conception um is an actual human being and that we're unique among god's creatures who are able to bring human beings in the world and so if you are hell bent literally on denying that god and then denying all of his various works in the world as the fool in the heart says there is no god right um then abortion becomes the chief sacrament of that because it it gives you supposed control over the very reality to create and take life because you can take you can play with the reality of creating life meaning having sex without any of the actual um, ramifications of that, which is the, the genuine power of sex, which is not simply pleasure, but the actual creation of life. And so it's, it's, it's unsurprising to me, although horrific to watch the um, reactions that people have to this, because you are really, you really are desecrating an idol. I mean, you are, you are um, walking into a, into a, the temple of Artemis or something and, and ripping it down. I mean, this is what's happening in people's lives because the possibility of having a repercussion of my actions that is unwanted, that is um, out of my control uh, with something is so, so necessary to a pagan world, which is, you know, sex uh, of some sort, then we're, we're going to watch, you know, heads, not just heads explode, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, I mean, I hope it doesn't be the case, but, you know, threats of violence, you know, people's, um, you know, uh, people going legitimately unhinged as a result of this, if it actually comes down. I mean, remember those women that were throwing themselves like themselves up against the door of uh, Kavanaugh's uh, hearing chamber, like bloodying themselves against the door. I mean, that's Gerizim demoniac type level yeah. of, um, of self-harm um, and all for what? For the ability to, to kill a child. You know, I think the stakes are as high as we can, as we have talked about. But I also think that um, on the other side of this, 
the conversations and the opportunity for us to both pick up people who've been affected by abortion, but also welcome um, through repentance people who, who were indifferent to it is going to be, a, I hope, an opportunity for us to, to you know, bring people um, back into the fold who's hopefully will have the scales of this horror um, you know, drop from their eyes and be able to, to see it for what it is. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I feel if this goes through, I'll, I'll sleep more soundly at night. You know, I, I've always kind of felt since I realized, since I really came to gra- grips with what abortion is, I've felt, wow, we are under the judgment of God. <laughs> is it going to be China? Is it going to be Russia? Who, 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 what terrible thing is God going to bring down on us? Um, because he he doesn't tolerate this sort of thing for forever. Uh, he's long suffering, but he eventually runs to the point that that his wrath is um, unleashed, and so now it'll just I, be California and Massachusetts. Yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I don't know. I think I, I'm just I, I I'm going to sleep a little more soundly. I'll, I'd sleep even more soundly if if we were able to uh, undo the Obergefell decision too. Um, maybe that will happen as well. And um, it, it, what always goes to show is that God can. And everything comes from God. Uh, every good thing comes from God. The, the God can, can, should he wish, not only destroy a nation, but he can also preserve one. He can preserve a people. And maybe this, I don't, I'm not saying he's doing that necessarily right now, but maybe this is, is one of those ways, those first moments of, of common grace where God um, preserves a nation. Amen. Amen. Well, this is going to be something that no doubt will be in the national conversation in a very, uh, what's the word, in a very intense way for a long time. I think you should of, use impactful way. Impactful. I think that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's Anne's favorite word. That is Anne's favorite. Right, we this will, is the hundredth episode. You should say something about that. Uh, what do we say? Well, I can't believe it. I, this is the last last five, last two minutes of the show. This is our 100th episode. Mad Kennedy has uh, <laughs> leapfrogged onto Neil Shenvey's influencer list. I mean, I can only <laughs> assume that we take responsibility for that. It must be that. because of the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> I went from 100, 188 followers to 515. <laughs> Hang on my every week uh, retweet. That's right. Well, I'll say that I really enjoyed talking to you guys for 100 episodes and i'm looking forward to episode 101 amen yeah amen well we're gonna keep going but that is all the time that we have this week uh we'd love to keep the conversation going with you the listener please be in touch with us you can rate and review the podcast on itunes or send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or you can join the anglicans for the gospel facebook group we are as always very grateful for your time that you took to listen to us today And uh, thank you to Matt Kennedy and J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon and Lord willing, we'll be back next week for 101. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. (laughs) 